Today's show brought to you by Redcon1.com. That's right. Click the link at the bottom of the podcast app in which you are listening to this on. Check them out. Use promo code T20Quartermist. That's right. Redcon1.com. All right, guys, and welcome to Don't Trade on America, coming to you live. <clears throat> well, it's live for me. From the DTOM studios in the free state of Florida, brought to you in part by Maker's Mark Bourbon. That's right. Great Kentucky bourbon. Check them out. We are a brand ambassador of Maker's Mark. Buy some. Just do it. Do it. Make you an old-fashioned. It's good stuff. All right, guys. On today's show, what I want to discuss is yesterday, um, today is uh, 420, man, <laughs> today is April 20th, 2022, yesterday being the 19th was the anniversary, uh, solemn anniversary as it were, of the Oklahoma City bombing. Now, um... You know, it's a somber day in American history, oddly enough. Um, didn't hear a whole lot about it. Um, I, you know, granted, I guess, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't have the impact that 9-11 did, which happened to be, what, six years later? Um, at the time when the Oklahoma City bombing happened was one of the biggest events, domestic terrorism, or terrorism in general, on uh, American soil. So, yeah, I think it should be, not celebrated, obviously, but should be, you know, memorialized uh, yearly, just like 9-11 is. What's what's the difference? You know, you had a bunch of children, uh, 100 and, what was it, 168 people um, died, a lot, you know, some of those were children. Um, it's an event. It's a major mark in history. Um, so, um, you know, I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of the story as we know it. Now, the way this is going to go today is going to sound sort of conspiratorialistic, if that's a word. Um, this isn't a DTOM file show. Chris isn't here. I'm not drinking. <laughs> Just something I knew was was a mark in history, and I wanted to talk about it because I started digging into the the events of the Oklahoma City bombing. Now, we know the basis, right? On Wednesday, April 19, 1995, perpetrated by two anti-government extremist, white supremacist, right-wing terrorists, uh, terrorist sympathize, <clears throat> uh, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols, the bombing happened at 9.02 a.m. and killed at least 168 people and injured uh, 680 others and uh, destroyed more than one-third of the building, which had to be demolished. The blast destroyed or damaged 324 other buildings within a 16-block radius, shattered glass in 258 nearby buildings, and destroyed or burned 86 cars, causing an estimated $652 million worth of damage. So those are the facts of the case as we were told. But 
what I'm going to get into today is I'm going to play a news clip of, of that day. And then I want to get into a story about Sergeant Terrence Yeke. I, I don't know. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his last name right. It's a Y-E-A-K-E-Y. Yeke. He was a sergeant at the uh, Oklahoma City Police Department who was one of the first responders at the site of the bombing, rescuing at least four people. And he died a year after his service, rescue service. And uh, he was found to have committed suicide. And that's what I want to get into because there's a lot of discrepancies into if that's what he had done. And the whole, the whole thing, the whole Oklahoma City bombing is skeptical at best. And um, I know lately, you know, when we do our DTOM file show, it's all... You know, what are they lying to when I say they, the government? What are they lying to us about now? So we talk about things that happen now. Like we're, we look at the state of the world we live in now, what's been going on the last couple of years. So the idea behind the DTOM files was to go back in, in history at some of the obvious conspiracy theories like moon landing, JFK, whatever, but we've also started looking into not-so-obvious um, conspiracy theories. Robert F. Kennedy, MK Ultra, and we've got more coming down the road, some obvious, some not obvious. This is one that Chris didn't know I was going to do. I actually just talked to him about it yesterday, I think it was. And um, I- I'm just going to tell the story. You guys can decipher as to whether or not you think it's worthy of being a conspiracy theory, but it it makes you raise your eyebrows. So this is John Brokaw from NBC Nightly News back in April 19th of 1995. A massive car bomb exploded outside of a large federal building in downtown Oklahoma City, shattering that building, killing children, killing federal employees, military men, and civilians. The chaos in downtown Oklahoma City did indeed resemble Beirut after what police believe to be a 1,200-pound car bomb ripped through the nine-story federal building shortly after 9 o'clock this morning. More than 500 people were already in their offices, and at least 50 children were in a daycare center on the second floor. Bombing in Oklahoma. So before I keep on playing, this is very important to notice the, the facts of the case that were told to us. Truck bomb, you know, so on and so forth. Now, uh, here's Bill Clinton. This was 27 years ago. Bill, you looked a lot better back then. Yeah, I know. I was uh, a lot younger back then. Uh, things have changed, right? All right, so let's, let's listen to old Bill here 27 years ago. Oklahoma City was an attack on innocent children and defenseless citizens. It was an act of cowardice, and it was evil. The United States will not tolerate it, and I will not allow the people of this country to be intimidated. Two suspects have been identified, known only as John Doe. They're both about 5'10 to 5'11, about 180 pounds, both with brown hair, one with a crew cut, the other with a tattoo. Those sketches were released as rescue workers worked their way through the wreckage of the Murrah Federal Building, looking for survivors among the close to 200 people 
believed to be still in that rubble. Authorities now believe the truck that bore the bomb was parked in a space alongside the federal building. A second vehicle may have been nearby to permit the bombers to escape. The FBI said today it was a huge explosion and that the explosive used was most likely a simple combination of fertilizer and fuel oil. The indictment charges that Timothy... Now, the fertilizer and fuel oil, these things are important, so just pay attention to that. The bombing, ...selected the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City as their target, bought and stole materials for the bomb, and built it. McVeigh is specifically charged with having delivered the bomb to the Murrah Building in a truck that he rented under a false name and having detonated the bomb at the Murrah Building. I intend to recommend to the Department of Justice and the Attorney General of the United States that the death penalty be sought against both McVeigh and Nichols. Timothy McVeigh, guilty. Guilty of murder, guilty of conspiracy, guilty on all 11 federal charges that he faced in the Oklahoma City bombing trial. His conviction comes a little more than two years after a massive bomb shattered the Murrah Federal Building, killing 168 people, including 19 children. It was the worst terrorist act in American history, and Timothy McVeigh could now be sentenced to death. This morning, the United States of America carried out the severest sentence for the gravest of crimes. The victims of the Oklahoma City bombing have been given not vengeance, but justice. And one young man met the fate he chose for himself six years ago. For the survivors of the crime, and for the families of the dead, the pain goes on. Final punishment of the guilty cannot alone bring peace to the innocent. It cannot recover the loss or balance the scales, and it is not meant to do so. Today, every living person who was hurt by the evil done in Oklahoma City can rest in the knowledge that there has been a reckoning. All right, so <clears throat> that was the news as it was happening. So that was the bombing, the uh, we're looking for these guys, the indictment, and then the um, execution and so on and so forth. So why did I play that? I have no idea. No. I just wanted to give you the story that we were told, okay? Truck bomb fertilizer fuel two guys um if you don't recall this event in history um or you're not old enough i would assume that the majority of the people listening to this recall this event um do me a favor google the or whatever duck duck go whatever search engine you use hopefully you don't use google it's just common language now to say that, but nonetheless, the Oklahoma City bombing. And not if, if for nothing else, just do it to look at the pictures of this building. I don't recall, it was a, what, 10, I think 10-story building, literally, and I want to, if I recall correctly, uh, McVeigh had rented a, like a U-Haul or a rider truck or something to that uh, idea, but it wasn't even like a full-size moving truck. It wasn't like a one of those big 32-foot whatever U-Haul type trucks. It was a smaller truck. It wasn't a van, but it was bigger than a van. But nonetheless, wasn't like it was a semi or even a big, like a full-size U-Haul truck. It was 
probably like the medium size, maybe like a 16, 18 foot, whatever truck, you know, still big enough to hold a lot of whatever in it. Um, now, if you recall when this happened shortly after this happened, of course, it set new laws in place, new, um, uh, like if you bought too much fertilizer, it's kind of like, I don't know how it is in the States you live, but I know in Florida, if you go to, you know, your local drugstore Walgreens, or if you go to Walmart or whatever, and you want to buy certain, um, over the counter cold medicines. And if they have Sudafed in them, like if, if, if it's a Sudafed, uh, what's that? What's the drug? That's the brand name Sudafed, but the Phenadrin or whatever it is that's in these drugs, you can only buy so much of that. They take your driver's license. They record your information. I don't know exactly what the limit is. You can only buy so many per day, per year. I don't know what it is, but I know they're behind because they're, they're stolen. You know, they're highly, uh, you know, sought after, uh, items. Now at one time I used to be a retail manager and this was before they kept that stuff locked up. But people would buy, or not I say buy, they would steal Sudafed. Oddly enough, the concoction was they would steal Sudafed, Aspercream, you know, like the, the rub, rubbing aspirin that you'd rub on your, you know, sore muscles or whatever. Uh, eye drops, like uh, Visine or whatever, and batteries. Okay, why that group of, of items? <laughs> they would make around these parts... <laughs> They would make what what is called bathtub crank. So you mix all that shit together and it liquefies it and it makes drugs. And that's what the, the dope heads would use to get high. Yeah, so imagine a concoction of Sudafed, um, Aspercream, Visine, and uh, battery acid for some reason. I guess, you know, when there's a will, there's a way whatever the point being is those items or not those items but the Sudafed was stolen a ton people you know these different pharmacies and whatnot were losing a crap ton of money so they started locking them up uh when this incident happened it was the same thing with fertilizer not that if you went to Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever and you bought a bag or two or three of fertilizer they wrote your name down but guaranteed if you bought a ton of fertilizer like farms and and whatnot they had to have permission essentially to buy you know large quantities of fertilizer and a lot of that was because of this but the where i wanted to go with this whole thing was <clears throat> that's the stories we were told okay now a few years later um I think this was 2011, so uh, what was that, 15, 16, whatever years later, uh, this came out, and I'm going to play this clip also, mainly because when I start to talk about Officer uh, Yeki, it might shine some light onto what maybe happened to him, or maybe what he saw. General Ben Parton is retired now, but he was one of the military's experts on explosives. 
Based on his experience, he did not believe that a mixture of fertilizer and fuel oil exploding in the street could have been responsible for the pulverized concrete at the Murrah building. General Parton calculated the pressure from McVeigh's bomb at various distances. He created this chart to show the pressures. McVeigh's truck bomb is at the bottom of this chart. The columns that supported this building are shown as solid rectangles. The red rectangles are the columns that collapsed. The collapsed columns are in the area shaded with red. One of the columns that was pulverized was so far from the bomb that the pressure would have been only 27 pounds per square inch. One explosion caused, because here's now what we are starting to learn about uh, the succession or what someone obviously hoped would be a succession. Now it's very important to listen to this part of the, of the video here. ...of explosions. The first bomb that was in the federal building did go off. It did the damage that you see right there. The second explosive was found and diffused. The third explosive that was found, and they are working on right now as we speak, I understand, both the second and third explosives, if you can imagine this, were larger than the first. So try to imagine two Boy. or threefold happening mm -hmm. uh, what we've already seen there. It is just uh, incredible to think that there was that much heavy artillery that was somehow moved into the downtown Oklahoma City Federal Building. Two other explosive devices were found that were not detonated, and they were larger than the first no! So you had, according to this news footage, now this isn't Tom Brokaw, NBC News, this is, this is local news coverage in Oklahoma City. At the time, the police and the Oklahoma City bomb unit was on the scene, found, well, you had the first detonation, then they found two more bombs inside the building. Now, this is a federal building. This isn't just, uh, you know, the World Trade Center, for example. <clears throat> and the reason I'm using them for an example is that's not a federal building. And in 91, I think it was, you had some terrorists take a U-Haul truck into the bottom of that and try to blow it up, right? This is a federal building. So, <clears throat> now, it suffices to say, yeah, I guess technically... It would have been easier to park a U-Haul or whatever in front of the building and detonate it. You had a military whose job, 31 years in the military, was explosives. That's what he did. said there's no way that kind of damage could have been done by a um, fertilizer and fuel mixture. Not in the size vehicle, especially that was being used or that was alleged to be used. There's that. And then you have on the scene, this, this footage that I'm listening to now, I don't actually put this clip in the um, show notes so you can watch this yourself. But this particular footage is live. This is that's not live now, obviously, but it's live on the scene as this situation was unfolding on April 19th, 1995. The, I'm going to let it play. You'll hear the police on the scene. There's like the local uh, cameraman, whatever, is down there. You can see the chaos. Listen to what these police officers and, and people that are on the scene are saying. 
I think he said another bomb. Oh my God, another bomb. We uh, just saw, if you were watching there, there was a white pickup truck backing a trailer into the scene here. They're trying to move people out of the way so they can get it in. It appears to be the Oklahoma County Bomb Squad. Uh, it's their bomb disposal unit, essentially, is what it is, and it is what they would use to, if, if the report that we gave you just a few moments ago turns out to be correct, that they have found a second explosive device of some kind inside this building. They'll back that trailer down there, and the uh, bomb squad folks will go in, and they will use that, uh, that trailer. You see the, the bucket on the back there, sort of, this is how they would transport the explosive device away from this populated area to try to do something with it. Uh, the Justice Department is reporting that a second explosive device has been found in the AP Murrah uh, building in downtown Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike, you're still with us, aren't you? Yes, I am, yeah. and, I, and I might tell you, in addition to that, that in fact what we were told at the scene a few minutes ago was that in fact two different explosive devices were found in addition to the one that went off so a total of three a total saying. of three. now confirmed uh, through federal authorities that a second bomb has been found inside that federal building in oklahoma city it was an explosion at nine o'clock this morning that did that damage you're looking at right there blowing off the entire north face of that building again you're looking at the north face there a second bomb was found on the east side of that building. A bomb squad is on the scene. That second bomb has not exploded. We don't know quite the status yet if they've managed to defuse it, but it has been confirmed that a second bomb was found on the east the side. The I have is that one device was, uh, was uh, deactivated. Apparently there's another device, and obviously whatever did the damage to the Murrah building was a tremendous, uh, very sophisticated explosive device. So President Clinton just called Frank uh, Keating, Governor Frank Keating, and he says that three FBI anti-terrorist teams are en route to Oklahoma City. Right now they are saying that this is the work of a sophisticated group. This is a very uh, sophisticated uh, device, and um, it has to have been done by an explosives expert. Um, obviously with this type of explosion. The medical teams downtown are unable to get into the wreckage to retrieve more of the injured because of the presence of other uh, bombs in the area. Well, I just took a look down the street uh, at the Morrow building again. I see another bomb truck going, so apparently they're going to try to get out that third bomb that's been talked about. Still a lot of activity around the Morrow building. Uh, security concerns that another one still might go off. Fortunately, it didn't because the second device that they found, we understand, was even more powerful than the first. They then found a third device, and you can see the look on this woman's face at the fear that she might have to go through the same thing again. They then found a third device, which was also larger than the first. Uh, hard to feel lucky at this point, but certainly through uh, some good work by some munitions experts and the uh, explosive sniffing dogs, further tragedy has almost certainly been averted here. Uh, but it was a great stroke of luck that we actually have got diffused bombs. It's through the bomb material that we'll be able to track down uh, who committed this atrocity. So <clears throat> the question is, what happened to the diffused bombs, number one? The bigger question is, this was breaking news, okay? Anytime you've seen situations whether it's here or you know another country where there's a car bomb, a truck bomb, I mean even like I said the World Trade Center when the they took the U-Haul or rider truck whatever it was <clears throat> into the garage, remnants of the truck was there. Nowhere 
during this breaking news coverage. Everything that I just played was local news. So however many, your ABC, CBS, NBC, whatever, local um, news affiliates in Oklahoma City were on the scene, right? This wasn't Tom Brokaw and the Muckety Mucks and CNN. It wasn't anybody like that. It was all local news people. Breaking news. This just happened. We're on the scene. Nowhere, and you, you heard different reporters talk about the federal authorities, first bomb, second bomb, third bomb. Never once in that all, that, all the different people that you heard reporting, different uh, affiliations, different um, news affiliations, never once did they say anything about a truck bomb. Right? Never once did you actually see footage of the truck. This is a federal building. Now, granted, this is 95, but they still had CCTV. It wasn't quite as uh, high-tech or whatever as it is nowadays. But nonetheless, federal building in said federal building. Now, you could say, okay, well, it's a federal building. It could be a, uh, you know, it could be a post office. Okay, yeah, true. In this federal building was the DEA, the Secret Service, ATF. Uh, different uh, federal, you know, housing and urban development, uh, drug enforcement administration, uh, Marine Corps uh, recruiting. I think I saw Army recruiting, a snack bar. No, uh, DOT, um, credit union. So I mean, you can take all the uh, Social Security administration. You can take all those, you know, whatever. But there was higher level uh federal agents agencies in this building it wasn't just you know DOT and whatever you had the ATF the um DEA and now of course the story as we were told is that McVeigh and Terry Nichols did this in uh response to Waco and the, you know thus the um you know, DEA and ATF and everything. Um, <clears throat> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But, like I said, as as we've grown to maybe not trust everything the government tells us, you have to ask why. Breaking news, three bombs. They disposed of two. Once, who knew about those bombs? Like, I'm asking you guys right now listening to this. Have you ever heard that story that there was three bombs in that building? One detonated and they defused the other two. Have you ever heard that story? I, I never have because I've never dug into this story. You know, I simply took it at face value. Terry Nichols, Timothy McVeigh, U-Haul truck, fertilizer, blew up the building. They're pissed off because of Waco. I knew that basic part of the story. You know, you had a bunch of people die. I even knew a lady that her daughter was killed in that bombing. So, why, why? And you think Oklahoma City, federal building, okay, you know, the different departments that were in it. Why, why that building? Why Oklahoma City, okay? Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols, I don't even think we're from that area. Waco's in Texas, and I. I mean, I don't know exactly how far away Waco is from Oklahoma City, but it's not close. Um, 
Like if you're pissed off about Waco and it, and realistically the FBI and the uh, ATF or whoever was involved in Waco would have come out of Dallas <laughs> more so than Oklahoma City. So it's not like there was agents in that building that you're pissed off about because of Waco. So, I mean, it's hard to find information about that, but these are news clips that were live on TV. April 19th, 1995. Three bombs. Not three truck bombs. Three bombs. The two bombs that were diffused were in the building. How did they get there? Terry Nichols and Timothy McGay broke into the building? Were they let into the building? Did they have anything to do with this? I don't I don't know. I mean, who's to say? They can't say because, well, at least I don't, I don't know about Terry Nichols, but Timothy McVeigh is dead. So, but uh, nonetheless, I want to talk about one of the police officers that was first on the scene. Now, he was reported as a hero cop, um, and he committed suicide roughly a year after the fact. So, you know, instead of being treated as a as the hero he truly was, Sergeant Terrence Yakey was silenced by his own government in an effort to keep him from exposing their complicity in one of the largest mass murders in American history, which senselessly, <laughs> easy for me to say, ended the lives of 168 people, including 19 children. According to his widow, instead of being showered with accolades by the U.S. government for his hero heroism, Yakey was killed with his death being framed to look like a suicide, although a very poor, poorly staged one. Only days uh, before receiving the police department's Medal of Valor for his heroic efforts on the day in, um, of the Oklahoma City bombing, on May 11, 1996, only days after his death, the New York Times ran a story with the headline, a policeman who rescued four in, in the bombing kills himself. But, um, but the bold assertion that the hero cop, Sergeant Terrence Yakey, killed himself couldn't be further from the truth. While the New York Times article claimed that Yuki Yakey, I'm sorry, I'm, I know I'm messing his name up and I don't mean to do it on purpose, committed suicide because he was living in such emotional pain from not being able to do more to help the people injured in the bombing, and that he was suffering from intense survivor guilt, which he was unable to manage. This information had been repeatedly refuted by the Aikis family. In an effort to further muddy the water surrounding his death, the Times story went on to claim, the police are investigating a report that Sergeant Yeki had violated an order barring him from going near his former wife, said Captain Bill City, a spokesman uh, Sergeant Yeki had also a similar order against her. Captain City said efforts to locate her today were unsuccessful. So let's set the record straight. Okay, so his body was found in a field in El Reno, Oklahoma, over a mile away from his abandoned vehicle. There was an extremely large amount of blood found in his vehicle. He had been bound and a uh, rope burn on his neck, Lig ligature marks on his wrists, 
numerous deep cuts, likely tortured and killed execution style with a single bullet that entered his right temple at a 45-degree angle. To top it off, no gun was found on the scene. Until the FBI showed, uh, agent showed up and suspiciously found a gun in an already although searched area within five minutes of being there. Sounds familiar, right? Magic Bullet, Dallas. Sergeant Terrence Yankee was a seven-year veteran of the Oklahoma City PD, one of the first on the scene of the OKC bombing out the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City. Yeki became known as a hero after saving the lives of eight people on the morning of April 19th. However, he was uncomfortable being looked at as a hero and didn't consider himself one, only a man doing his job. Far from being suicidal, Yeki was, was in the process of achieving some major life goals. He was scheduled for a final interview for a job with the FBI in urban Texas uh, and with hopes of being hired to work for the FBI in Dallas in direct contradiction to the Times' nebulous reporting about Yeki's potential relationship trouble, the couple had recently reconciled and had discussed getting remarried. The real story behind Yeki's death, as attested by his ex-wife, Tanya, is that he witnessed things during his response to the bombings which he did not agree with, and the official, quote-unquote, versions of the events being forwarded by law enforcement and national media at the time, and had been collecting evidence to support his, <clears throat> to I'm sorry, to support his contentions. In an interview on AM 1300 KAKC in 1998, Tanya Yeki clearly exposed the reality underpinning the death of Terence Yeki. The extremely important interview with Tanya can be heard in the. Well, I I, I don't want to. Do I want to play the video? I hadn't listened to the video, so begins at the eight-minute mark. So, uh, bear with me here. Good morning. Well, I, I've given them a little bit um, of a of a preview in the first hour of the case itself, just the basics of uh, what happened and what you know what you can do. We've got an hour, and what we. Uh, what you can do is kind of fill us in on, on you know, where you were at, what happened uh, through your perspective, and especially uh, what happened to you, you know, it, not only during uh, the time of, of uh, the bombing and shortly after, but all the way up until, like, today. So why don't you start with, uh, 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 let's, let's back up just a little bit and take five minutes first and tell us that, you know, Terry was the first officer in the building. He probably saw some things uh, that uh, were dangerous for someone to see and remember and know, and he began working the case. And why don't you just kind of take it to there? What did, what did he tell you? Well, um, it actually started the day of the bombing that he had made some uh, strange statements that uh, at first I wasn't able to uh, really put into any kind of logical order, um, but later on it began to make sense why he was making these comments. Um, I picked him up. I got a call about oh, 11.30, maybe 11.15, the morning of the morning from Presbyterian Hospital. Um, they said Terry had been injured, and I needed to come down there and get him. Um, in that two-hour time, I'd been trying to find him. Um, his uh, 
his computer in his uh, police vehicle was not uh, working. Nobody could get a hold of him. Nobody seemed to know where he was. So I was really concerned because uh, I knew he worked that area early in the morning. So I was concerned um, and was relieved to get the call. So I went down there to Presbyterian Hospital, picked him up. Um, the strange thing was uh, his first statement that came out of his mouth was, get me out of this hospital. No matter what you got to do, get me out of here. Um, I said, okay. Um, uh, he's very adamant. I, I didn't know at the time that um, I've been told later that he was threatened the hospital. Uh, I didn't know where the source of threatening came, uh, but that's, that's what I've been told later on, about a year after his death. Um, as soon as we got in the vehicle, um, and Terry had entered his back carrying Randy Ledger out of the building. Uh, Randy was a large man, probably uh, almost 300 pounds, and he had fallen through some rubble. Um, so he couldn't even walk, couldn't sit up. And uh, as soon as they loaded him into the car, uh, he got very upset, um, started to cry a little bit, and said, uh, Tanya, it's not what they're saying it is. They're not telling the truth. They're lying about what's going on down there. And um, yeah, I did try to press him a little bit, ask him questions, but he didn't seem very willing to talk about it. Um, it, it was just kind of a, a comment. You know, it's not what it's not what they're portraying it to be. Um, and from that point on, uh, it was about two or three days later uh, after the bombing, he had asked me to take him down to the site. Um, and mind you, Terry couldn't even walk. He really was not in any shape to go down there. Um, but he kept insisting we needed to go back down there. Uh, said that we needed to go at night when we could not be seen. Um, and people would just recognize us easily. And I didn't understand the reason for that, but I didn't ask a lot of questions either because he just, he just seemed unwilling to give a lot of information. Um, we did go down there uh, probably between 9.30, 10 o'clock. And he said that we were going to go look underneath where the daycare had been. Um, there was something he wanted to see under there and get a picture if possible. Um, as we went down there, um, we were stopped. And I can't remember which personnel it was, but I know definitely it was either ATF or FBI. I just cannot recall what the uh, name was on the back of his jacket, but it was one of the two. And... Um, Terry had attempted to badge his way through, and the guy told him no. Um, and he said something a little more specific, like, uh, you know you're not supposed to be back down here, something along the lines that made me realize the two of them recognized each other, and the interaction was very antagonistic. Um, I think had I not been with Terry, he would have said a little more to the man, um, and maybe been a little more forceful about getting through, but it seemed like he thought better about it since I was with him and we left. And then he uh, asked me as we got in the car that I not be seen down at the site. Um, and mind you, I worked a, a job that uh, might require me to go down to the site. Um, but I did not because he was very adamant that I not be seen down there at any point in time. Um, the, the entire year after that, was uh, lots of strange incidences, uh, lots of strange comments from him. Um, about 15 days after the bombing happened, I got a call from his supervisor, Lieutenant Joanne Randall. And um, she's being pretty hostile, uh, pretty aggressive, and um, asked me where Terry was, told her he, he was not there. 
and she ta she said, uh, you tell Terry that if he doesn't get that other report in, um, that he's going to be reprimanded if he does not get that in by the end of the night. Who was this? This is Lieutenant Joanne Randall, mm -hmm. and this was his uh, his supervisor, direct supervisor at the time. Now, um, let me let me give you a little filler in there. Um, in this time frame, Terry had written a nine-page report. Um, I know that he wrote a nine-page report. I saw it. This is the only report, however, that I've ever asked him to read that he did not let me. Um, I, I didn't understand the reason for that at the time. It was, you know, I've, I've ridden with my husband, you know, on ride-alongs. We, we talk a lot about what had happened at work. You know, I've, I've read reports about the prostitutes on 9th of Francis, you know. Just meaning that nothing was really all that sacred. You know, if I asked about it, usually he was pretty forthcoming in telling me about it. Uh, this time it was an absolute no. He didn't want me reading this nine-page report. Um, and that's an awfully long report. I don't ever know uh, too many uh, police incident reports that are that long, but his was. You, as you look back on that, do you find that as a... His way of protecting you by making sure that you didn't have that knowledge? Uh, that's what I believe. That is what I believe. At the time, it was strange to me, but uh, two years later, it, it comes into perspective really clear that he did not want me to know, have any knowledge of what was going on down there. Okay, so now she wants a second report. She wants a second report. And like I said, this is not hearsay. I got the call. I know what she said to him. Um, he had told me, and I want to say it was maybe... Oh, about the 11th or 12th day that he had um, came into the house and was really upset, just mad. Um, said that they supposedly lost his first report. It was just missing. Um, he was furious. And um, another thing that was very unlike him, that he would not keep a copy of the report, but I think because he had been injured and probably was not expecting that the report would come up missing, I think he probably would have made a copy under normal circumstances. Um, but he seemed offended, and he had said that she wanted him to write a much shorter report. It, you know, it needed to be one page. Um, he was being dictated, obviously, what to write in his report and being told to take a lot of things out now, of it. Now, now the, people have to understand that when you turn a report in, it first thing it does, it goes to, to, to your supervisor, then it goes to records division, and they make multiple copies for various locations. So to lose the report, the supervisor would have to lose it, or they would have to go to these multiple locations that they know the report's at and get rid of all the reports. Right. Now, they want a second report. That lends me to believe that they want a different report because they've already threatened him by now. Yes. And so now they say, that's not the report we want. You'll write it, but you'll leave out such and such. That's my theory. Right. Okay, go ahead. And, and I'm, I agree with that um, uh, for certain reasons uh, of other things that have gone on. Um, I know Terry was being uh, threatened with disciplinary action all over the place uh, for lots of things concerning the bombing. They won't fess to this, but this, in fact, was occurring. Um, and the report was the first thing that I know about that he was threatened with disciplinary action. Um, okay, I'm trying to get my train of thought here. And, you know, jump in, ask me any questions you want okay. as I'm going along. I'll, I'll help you on this since I know the story. Not, not as well as you, but fairly well. Let me ask one quick question. Tony, have you ever told this story before on radio? Yes, I have. Oh, you have? Yes, I Did have. you have any reaction from it? I'm sorry? Did you have any particular reaction from it? Particular uh, reaction as from in it? Threats, uh, yeah. telephone problems, takeouts, whatever. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I've gotten used to it over two years, you know. It, it doesn't seem so new to me anymore. Did you do this uh, at an Oklahoma City station? No, I have not. 
This is the first time I've been able to do it in any Oklahoma City radio station. Oh, in any Oklahoma station at all? That's correct. Oh, well, that's it's right. always been on uh, shortwave and national stuff, right? Right. Yeah, okay. In other words, a very limited listenership. Are you, uh, do any stations turn you down? Would they not let you tell this story, or what? Oh, uh, when Terry's death first happened, um, and I had to do a lot of digging to find out what happened to Terry. Okay, um, I, I was really kind of armed with some vague information at the time, mo most mostly because of how the body. Um, actually was when it was found, what the location it was found, just the whole story itself was unbelievable. And I had not pinpointed it all to the bombing until about a year after. I was still kind of gathering and, and kind of blindly <laughs> uh, searching my way through it. So, um, yeah, that sounds like maybe you had some of the same problems Karen Sook would have. Yeah. Now, getting getting uh, getting on with with uh, you, you know, you mentioned to me that uh, Terry had come to you uh, on probably more than one occasion and said, "We need to get remarried so you'll be covered by insurance and pension and all this for the kids." Yes. Okay. Um, we we had been divorced at that time. Um, it was about two weeks after his, uh, before his death that he suddenly became very afraid. Um, very anxious, very nervous. Um, I would not say suicidal, um, just afraid. And he would come to my house at strange times of the night, unannounced. And this is, if you knew Terry Yakey, you'd know how out of character this would be. Terry was a polite sort, uh, very respectful. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't even come over unless, you know, you knew he was coming in advance. But here he was coming up at my door, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3.30 in the morning. And uh, he was telling me that he was going to get his insurance papers uh, all put together and make sure that I had them. Um, he wanted me to leave in the middle of the night with him right then. He said, we need to get remarried. Uh, don't ask me questions. This is the only way I can make sure you and the girls are taken care of in the event that something happens to me. But that never happened? That never happened. You never, you never got the, the paperwork or, or it was never done? No. Uh -uh. Okay. Because it was... Uh, it had started, like I said, two weeks beforehand, and he was very vague in what he said, and I, I spent several hours trying to get him to tell me what was going on. Very frustrating, uh, but it was obvious that there was something going on. I don't believe he was suicidal, but two days before it, um, he showed up again, and he did something very strange. He tossed a VCR in my car, did not explain why, um, said that he needed to get these insurance papers to me, and, and left, said he would be back. Very upset. Um, 48 hours later, he was dead. It was the last time I ever saw him. Now, you said VCR is in a machine or a VHS tape? No, a VCR machine, okay. an entire right. machine. Okay. Which, like I said, if, if, if it were you, you know, you'd think, what in the world? What, what, what is he doing? It wasn't a, it wasn't a camcorder. It was a v, VCR. It was like... VCR, and there had been a tape in it, but I had not watched it. The VCR came up missing within 24 hours. Oh. It disappeared out of my house. So I was more concerned at the time of what he was talking about than I was, because the VCR was kind of incidental and didn't mean a lot to me at the time. Um, when I went back to look at it, to look for it, it had turned up missing. So, you know, it's very interesting. She's talking about stuff. I wasn't listening, so I hope you guys know I'm joking. So here's a woman. They were they were divorced, probably on the you know about to get remarried or whatever. So my question is this: He was supposedly 
going to work for the, or, you know, he was trying to get into the FBI. He was finishing up his interviews and whatnot. My question is, was that going to be his reward? Like, was that a situation? Look, you need to play ball. We know what you saw, but you need to play ball. You need to toe the line because, you know, he's, as she said, he's told her it's not how they're saying it happened. So what did he know? No one is sure exactly what he witnessed or what exact information he had collected. According to friends and family, he was being intimidated by federal authorities due to his pursuit of the truth and the information in his possession. So obviously he had something. What was in the VCR? What was on that tape? She didn't think much about it, which seems kind of weird to me. I mean, I know... Um, you think about it now, if that was you and, you know, something of that magnitude had happened and your ex-husband or whatever the case may be left a VCR, uh, you know, we don't have those nowadays, but you know what I'm saying? That kind of information, you would think nothing about it. And then furthermore, you wouldn't maybe watch the tape. You wouldn't, I mean... That curiosity would have killed me. I, I would have not been able to not watch the tape. And then, of course, like she said, a day later, the whole the VCR and everything was missing. Someone, I'm assuming, broke into her house and, and stole it. Probably not a crackhead looking for, you know, a quick fix stealing a VCR because if that was the only thing that was missing, they knew what they were there for. So, as she stated, the sergeant was making him rewrite the the um you know his uh report and everything of the situation so what did he write in the original report because it was lost right what was in his original report why i shouldn't say why we think we know why he was made to rewrite it but like the the guy the radio guy there was he saying okay which was this was the sergeant saying you need to write this. This is the official narrative. This is what you need to write. And he's like, no, it's bullshit. This is what happened. This is what I saw. Was he being, or was he going to be rewarded for his uh, heroism, his bravery, and his going along with the team narrative? Was he going to be rewarded for that by giving an FBI position? don't know right we we have no idea but you know additionally forces within the OCPD were trying to pressure him into signing off on a version of events from the morning of the bombing to which Terry was resistant to do he wanted his report to reflect the truth as he witnessed it essentially Yeki was under constant pressure for his refusal to go along with the official versions of the events during the during and after the OKC bombing. And uh, because, his, because of his refusal to change his story about what he saw on that fateful day, he was, he was a target of a horrific per, uh, persecution from his brothers in law enforcement. Yiki had compiled his findings in a storage facility outside of El Reno, Oklahoma, adding weight to the theory that he was... Um, that he was suicide to keep him quiet. Uh, his last known words were, as soon as I shake these feds that, uh, that are following me, I'll be back and we'll go to dinner. Is what he told his wife. And then he was never heard from again. 
Immediately upon being notified of his death, his family insisted that Yiki had not killed himself, and to this day they maintain that he was, he was murdered and did not commit suicide. The reality is that there is a high-level federal operation called PATCON, which, I'm sorry, which infiltrated the Patriot movement, movement across the U.S. Uh, during the Clinton administration uh, with informants and provocateurs that were likely connected in some way to the OKC bombing. It's more than probable that Yankees killing um, was carried out in an effort to cover up the extent to which the federal assets working under PATCON were involved in OKC bombing plot, thus shielding the federal government from potential blowback. So, you know, the idea behind um, PATCON is that the... Um, so Terry, Terry Nichols and um, Timothy McVeigh were, were part of a uh, militia group, right? And you have, you've had them, you have them throughout the country. So what they're saying is um, you had FBI, CIA, whatever alphabet agency infiltrate these different militia groups across the country and they probably still are doing that now the idea is that maybe this was carried out possibly these two guys were uh, patsies for lack of a better term right um, because they were in these militia groups there was no denying that and was this a way to shine a light on right ring or right wing extremists, you know, blah blah blah, whatever you want to call them. Because, like I said, this was on the heels of Waco, Ruby Ridge, kind of all coincided together. Like you had Ruby Ridge, then you had Waco, and then a few years later you had this. Was this the like look? Look how dangerous these people are. Yeah, we kind of stopped them at Ruby Ridge and we stopped them at Waco, but look look at what they did. I don't know. You know, I just found it interesting that you had a police officer who for a year was labeled a hero. Okay? Was going, supposedly, going to be an FBI agent. Saw things that he probably wasn't supposed to see having been one of the first people on the scenes on the scene he probably stumbled upon the crime in progress so to speak if there were three bombs and no truck bomb if these bombs one of them was supposedly on a gas line if if this is true did he stumble upon the conspirators, so to speak. Was Timothy McVeigh and um, Terry Nichols even there? Was there a truck? These are questions that should be asked, and this is a situation that should be dug more into. But the fact that they didn't even... I don't want to say celebrate, because I don't think there's a reason to celebrate um, this... But 
the fact that you didn't hear anything about it yesterday, unless you live in Oklahoma or Oklahoma City for that matter, there's a good chance you didn't hear anything about this being the 27th anniversary. Right? And I'm not trying to overshadow 9-11. These are all important events. Hell, we still talk about um, Pearl Harbor. Right? And that was 70-whatever years ago, 80 years ago, whatever it was. We still talk about that. This is an important event in the history of this country. It shined a light on domestic terrorism. It shined a light on right-wing um, extremists and uh, domestic terrorists and militias. It, you know, it brought all that stuff to light. But we don't talk about it. Is it, is it kind of like we, we hope that people forget that it happened? And therefore, people like me and other people that have been doing digging won't dig? Because there's not a lot. I mean, I can Google JFK conspiracy, conspiracy and I'll get five fucking pages of stuff. <laughs> there's not a whole lot on Oklahoma City bombing. Why? Because, and I'll tell you why, because we took it at face value. They caught the guys, they convicted them, they killed them, they shut them up. I'm sure there's a lot more to this story. And maybe one day, the truth will come out. Alright guys, uh, today is 420, man. <laughs> April 20th, 19, uh, 19, 2022, you guys. Please, if you're listening to this on whatever podcast app you're listening to this on, please share this with your friends. Please, uh, if you're on Apple, uh, Google, uh, Spotify, please give us a five-star rating. If you want to leave a review, please do so. Check out the show notes. I'll, I'll post that video um, from the, the breaking news from Oklahoma City, and I can even post the, the radio interview, the whole, whole thing from the uh, wife. You guys can listen to that. Um, but more importantly, please share this with your friends. Go to our our uh, website, don'ttreadonamerica.com. Check out our social media profile. And uh, follow us on whichever means you have, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or all three. Hell, I don't care. Um, but more importantly, like I said, just share this. Give us a good rating. And uh, I'll talk to you guys again on Friday. You have a great day.